Let's get to these winter meetings just to kind of give you a lay of the land of what to expect. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of rumors. You're going to hear from Carlos Mendoza. You'll hear probably from David Stern. So there'll be interviews. And even if trades don't go down or free agent signings don't go down, and I think there will be, you do lay the groundwork for a lot of future stuff at the winter meetings. Not that that's what we want to hear. We want action. We want stuff to go down. But the big thing that impacts us is Tuesday, Tuesday at 5.30, is the MLB draft lottery. And as you may recall, during the season, we would even have discussions on are the Mets better off losing? Because the Mets are in this weird spot because they're a luxury tax-paying team. If they pick seven or lower, their first-round pick moves back 10 slots which actually happened last year too, but we didn't pay that much attention to it because the Mets won over 100 games. But those are the rules. Same with the New York Yankees, who didn't make the postseason. The Yankees right now had the 16th best odds in the lottery. The Mets have the seventh best odds in the lottery. If they all stay where they are, the Mets would pick 17th. The Yankees would pick 26th because they moved back 10 slots. So the Mets need to jump at least one slot. If they do that, they're picking significantly higher in the first round. Their odds of winning the lottery and getting the number one overall pick sit at about 5.5%. Second pick is 6%. Third pick is 6.5%. Fourth is 7.2%. If you add the numbers up in the top six, it gets you to about 37%. So it's likely, unfortunately, the Mets are going to have their pick drop back 10 slots. But it's a lottery. You never know. Maybe the Mets get lucky. As unlucky as the Knicks have been in the lottery for the last million years, maybe the Mets get lucky. I mean, 5% is better than 0%. You never know. For those that say it's the MLB draft, who cares? Look, I, I, I'm not an expert on who they're going to take out of high school or who they're going to take out of college, but would you rather pick fifth than 18th? Yes. So we will get the answer to that question coming up on Tuesday at 5.30. All right, I do have one question about the, the whole prospect stuff here. And I said this a while back when um, the Mets were sitting there and, you know, dying basically or begging for, for, for these prospects to come up. And I understand the philosophy that you can't just pull somebody out of single A and just say, hey, good luck, kid. Ha-, you know, good luck with the, the, the pros. You'll make it. If you're not, then see you later. But Every other league out there, NBA, NFL, NHL, they basically, you get drafted high, you're in the league within a year. Like, you're playing the, the league. You're, you're in the big league. Baseball's the only one that you got to go through this long process. Is that, is it time to move on from that? Is it time to, if these guys are special, just move them up? quicker get them to the probably, big probably not because the the sooner you bring them up the sooner you got to pay them so you know not only unless you lock a guy up to a long-term contract like we just saw the brewers do you bring a guy up you start that clock so wouldn't you rather start the clock when they're ready when they're really ready instead of learning at the major league level and struggling for two or three years before they put it all together and yeah by the time they start to put it together they're arbitration eligible so I don't think that pattern's ever going to change. Obviously, when you draft a college kid, like I remember when the Mets drafted Michael Conforto. And the reason I remember this so vividly is Howie Rose was on the Met broadcast on the radio. And he was specifically saying, I hope the Mets draft Michael Conforto. He's a college kid and he could be up here within a year. 
And kind of like what you're bringing up, I was like, great, a year. I don't want to wait around for five years. Who the hell wants to hear about drafting a high school kid? You forget the guy even existed. And then maybe five years later, he's in the major leagues, yippity doo dah. And I know Michael Conforto didn't turn out to be the greatest Met in the world, but he was up within like a year. So depending on the, the kid that you draft, sometimes you've got a faster road to the major leagues, but unfortunately, I don't see that pattern changing. What I'm hoping for in the lottery is just the Mets to get a little bit lucky. I'd rather see my team drafting fifth than 18th. It's as simple as that. doesn't mean the guy's going to be a star. doesn't mean the guy's going to be in the major leagues quicker, but it's unfortunate. It's one of the negatives of having a high payroll. With that said, do I regret the Mets having a high payroll? No. I think if this is one of the punishments you face as a tax-paying team, it's probably worth paying. By the way, for anyone that's been on Tankathon because they're a basketball fan or a football fan, Tankathon has all these MLB draft lottery odds as well if you want to pay, play along. But the draft lottery is Tuesday at 5.30. The Rule 5 draft is Wednesday at 2 o'clock. We all know the rules there. You claim a guy, that guy's got to be on your major league active roster the entire season, or you got to offer him back. Mets claimed the guy last year from the Yankees. Zach Green was his name, and he never even made it through spring training. So it never went anywhere, but you never know. That's Wednesday at 2 o'clock. And other than that, you're going to hear from Carlos Mendoza, hear from David Stearns, and hopefully we'll get some actions. We're not getting the Yamamoto answer at the winter meetings. We may get the Otani answer, which I know for most people is he's not coming here. Like I said earlier on the Rico, I hold out a slight bit of hope that Steve Cohen and the Mets can shock the world. But for the sake of Pete Hoffman, for the sake of other Met fans that are losing their patience, I hope we do add an exciting Major League Baseball player in the next few days so I don't get to deal with more ownership is like the Wilpons. David Stearns is a moron. Get me out of here. So I don't know who would do that for you. I don't know what Major League ad would make you say, ah, like if they signed Eduardo Rodriguez, would that make you all feel good? Would that be a kind of like taking a crap? When you got diarrhea, like, ah, okay, I feel good. If you get Eduardo Rodriguez and Yamamoto, I mean, I think that's kind of what it is. Unfortunately, we, we set our standards too high this year. We said, no, no, but wait, well, hold on, hold on. They're not getting Yamamoto this week. So let's just remember sure. it's not happening this week. It's just going to, we're going to hear more stupid rumors about where he's thinking of going. So we're not getting that answer this week. So to make you feel better for the next few days, if I told you Tuesday morning Eduardo Rodriguez signs with the Mets, we still have no answer on Yamamoto. Your reaction would be, eh. <laughs> you guys eh. are the worst. It's not the worst. They, they set us up for this. Well, we are expect- up for what? Who set the what expectations up for what? are so high? It's just like because y'all, dude, we have one of the the. The best owner in the league, right? We have the best owner in the league. We have the guy who's willing to spend as much money as possible. And there's some special players out there. And we want to get them. And if we do, it, it, Eduardo Rodriguez is not going to be a game changer for the Mets this year. Let's put it that way. I like him. Nice piece. Dude, not a game changer. I, I mean, right now, a major league pitcher that can make 30 starts for the New York Mets with a mid-three ERA is an absolute game changer. He I just watched he, David Peterson and Tyler McGill make starts last year. Are you freaking kidding me? 
Okay, but Eduardo Rodriguez last year uh, didn't pitch thirty games. He was missed half the season with like mental issues. Or no, family no, he issues. made like twenty. He made he made in the mid to high twenties. If I have to pull it up now, just to kind of prove you wrong, it wasn't like he made twelve starts last year. Yeah, he missed like I, I think he missed like four weeks. I, I understand, but I'm telling you, I think he made at least twenty five starts. That'd That's be my fine. guess. Right, twenty five is okay. Let me get the answer. But he had twenty six. All right, I was I was off by one. Twenty six starts, three three ERA, one hundred and fifty innings. Let me tell you right now. I understand what you're saying about wanting stars and like game changing players, but for a rotation that sucked last year, that's pretty game changing. <laughs> 26, 26 starts in a three, three ERA and 150 innings. Yeah. My game has changed with that. What are you, what are you kidding me? <laughs> you, you, you're right. Comparing him to Max Scherzer, game changer. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, we'll be here with Rico's throughout the winter meetings as news breaks. But one thing we found out on Sunday night, was from this new Veterans Committee. It used to be the Veterans Committee. Now it's the Contemporary Base. They have all these different little committees where they elect guys to the Hall of Fame. And so the latest one featured Davey Johnson as a candidate, Lou Pinella as a candidate, Jimmy Leland as a candidate, Country Joe West as a candidate. And there were 16 members on this panel. It was formerly known as the Veterans Committee. And if you could get 12 of 16 votes, you get elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Jim Leland was the one guy that got the votes. In fact, he got 15 out of 16 votes to get elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Lou Pinella, I think, was one vote short. He got 11 of the 16. No word on how Davey Johnson did. Here are the guys who voted. So we know the voters. Uh, Jeff Bagwell, Tom Glavin, Chipper Jones, Bud Selig, Ted Simmons, Jim Tomey, Joe Torrey, Cindy Alderson, Bill DeWitt, Michael Hill, Ken Kendrick, Andy McPhail. And then uh, who else? Sean Foreman, Jack O'Connell, and Jesus Ortiz. They're veteran media members. So those are the guys that and gals that were placing votes. And Jimmy Leland made the Hall of Fame. I I do think of Jim Leland as a Hall of Fame manager. I do. I think of what he did in Pittsburgh with them basically winning the division every year. I know they couldn't break through and get to the World Series. They lost to the Reds in an LCS. They lost to the Braves. They lost to the... Who else did they lose to? To the Phillies in 93. Yeah, I think they made, if I'm not mistaken, I think they made the NLCS in 90, 91, 92. They lost to the, actually, it wasn't the Phillies. It was the Braves. They were in the same division back then. So they made it 90, 91, 92. They made three consecutive NLCSs back in the day where the Mets were in the NL East. And we were, well, we are in the NL East. The Pirates were in the NL East. And that was my first rivalry as a kid was the Pirates because they were damn good. Andy Van Slyke, Jim Leland, Doug Drabeck, Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla till we stole them. Those were the days growing up. So I think of Leland managing those Pirates successfully, the three consecutive NLCSs, the mercenary Marlins of 1997. Look, you still got to win. And he went out and did it. He was a disaster with the Rockies for one year. And then great success with Detroit. So. I'll tell you what I remember, and then we got the facts. Because we interviewed Jim Leland when I was doing the show with Beningo years ago at the Joe Torrey Safe at Home Golf event. And Leland was there, and he was a wonder, wonderful interview. But I remember going into the 05 season. The Mets were looking for a manager. They had fired Art Howe. And the rumor out there was they were turned off by Jim Leland because he didn't want to do public events. Like, he just wanted to manage 
he didn't really want to be the face of the team. That was the crazy rumor that was out there. And then eventually the Mets hired Willie Randolph. Jim Leland eventually took the job to manage the Detroit Tigers. Jim Leland goes on and has a great run with Detroit. He got them to two World Series, 2006 and then 2012. They didn't win either World Series, but he got the two. So think about that. There's a manager that won three pennants, two with Detroit, one with Miami, Florida at the time, uh, made the playoffs with the Pirates, won divisions, championship with the Marlins, a lot of success with Detroit. So he's got a wonderful resume, but there's that part of me that says, what if he managed to mess? What if he had taken that job instead of Willie Randolph? So I want to take you back to four years ago. Jim Leland sits down with me and Joe at the Joe Torrey Safe at Home Golf Foundation. And right away, the very first question I had for Jim Leland was this. Who do I blame for you not being the manager of the Mets that year? Because I remember that you were linked to the job. Did you not want the job? Should I blame the Wilpons? How did that not happen, Jim? No, you know, that's a great question. I actually talked to Omar Manaya. Uh, we, we had a conversation on the phone. I wasn't the right guy for the job. He didn't want me for the job. And I know there were some articles in the paper about talking to me and everything, so I think they were putting a little pressure maybe to speak to me. But, you know, we cleared that all up. Uh, I wasn't a man for the job. I didn't want the job. He didn't want me for the job. Why? So it worked out good. It, it's, it was too big for me. I, 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 I don't think I could handle New York. Too big for you? Couldn't handle yeah. New York. No, I'm a Pittsburgh guy, a smaller place. I come from a town of 4,500 people. I, I got intimidated when I came here, to wow. be honest with you. Do you think like guys like us going on the radio ripping every move you make would have been <laughs> annoying? What? No, that doesn't bother. That goes, you know, I I don't have any problem with guys talking about strategy and everything because that means they like the game and it's part of the game, and plus it stirs up good conversation with people. So as long as people, you know, their heart's in the right place as far as talking baseball, discussing things, questioning, second-guessing, that never bothered me. Mm. I, I think that's part of the game. So how about that? I mean, Jim Leland basically said, I, I don't know, I, it, you let that digest hearing it all these years later. In one breath, Leland says, I couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't manage in New York. But then the other part was, Omar and I didn't want him. So my question was, who should I be pissed off at? I guess I'm pissed off at everybody. And, and I don't know if Leland couldn't have handled it. I respect that honesty from him. I do, especially when he says, nah, the, the baseball debates, the talking about the managing stuff, I had no problem with that. Then what about New York really would have been the issue? So it's one of those alternate history things. And, I, and I've always talked about we should do a Rico Bronia alternate history. There's so many different variations of alternate history with the New York Mets, and that's one of them. What if Jim Leland managed the team in 05, 06, 07, 08, as opposed to Willie Randolph. But interesting answer from Jim Leland from that interview from four or five years ago. A couple of emails to get to, B at gmail.com. Number one, hey, Evan, if the Mets starting nine played the Jets offense in football, nine versus 11, who would win? <laughs> I just needed, I just needed to read that. Thank you very much for that email. Brian Safchik writes, Juan Soto. Evan, I'm not saying the Mets should trade for Juan Soto, but you keep saying he is 100% going to free agency, and I don't agree. Strasburg, Altuve, Bogarts all signed extensions as Boris clients, and Pete Alonso would right now if offered enough money. 
Boris's clients go to free agency most of the time because their current team doesn't offer them an extension that is equal to what the player is expecting to get as a free agent. We know that is by design as extensions are generally offered at less than market value because it gives a player financial security now and takes the risk of injury or a bad season in their walk year out of play. That said, if you trade for Soto and offer him an extension that is equal to what he's expecting as a free agent, why wouldn't he sign? Why risk injury just to get the safe money to get the same money after the season? If the Mets or Yankees traded for Soto now and offered him an extension of 12 years, $540 million, which is $45 million per year, I think he takes the deal. Look at another Boris client, our friend Michael Conforto. He did waiting. How did waiting to go to free agency work out for him? He got hurt, sat out a year, and signed a two-year, $36 million deal with the Giants that he could have opted out of after this year, but he opted in at $18 million. He lost over $100 million by waiting. Every player has a number, and Soto is no different. Brian, you bring up great points, but it all is irrelevant to Juan Soto, and I'll tell you why. Juan Soto as a free agent is so unique. I don't believe there is an offer the Mets or Yankees could make upon trading for him that would make Scott Boris say, I'll do it. Like your offer, it's nice, $45 million a year, a 12-year deal. It sounds reasonable on paper, but you don't think Scott Boris is thinking to himself, I've got arguably the greatest free agent situation ever. Why is it the greatest free agent situation ever? I'm glad you asked. The age, let's start with that. 25 years old in free agency is unique. Number two, Otani losers. There are going to be a lot of teams that missed on Shohei Otani. Every team but the team that signed him missed on Shohei Otani. You don't think that those teams are mortal locks to say, well, we missed that on Otani. We better get Juan Soto plus the numerous other teams that would say, you know what? We're a big market team. We don't have a huge, huge payroll. This is the guy worth spending on. And because of that, Boris wouldn't accept that contract you offered. Because if you get three, four, five teams bidding on this generational situation, that number could get much higher. Why rule out $50 million a year? Why rule out a 15-year contract? So I get it. Like, I agree with Brian that there is a price for most guys to bypass free agency. There's a price for Pete Alonso right now for the Mets to get that deal done. I completely agree with you. But I do not believe it applies with Juan Soto. And I stand by that. He will a thousand percent be a free agent going into next year. And we will spend endless hours on Rico Bronia analyzing how the Mets are going to steal him. Now, the only thing I say is like, you know, you, you say, I agree. I think free agency is, is, is a no brainer for, for Juan Soto, unless like, like we've said in the past, like if, Boris wants $600 million, and whoever says, yeah, let's go for it. That's the only way they say yes. I don't think there's an offer. Like, I don't think Scott Boris is going to say to a team upon a trade, give me this and we'll sign. I think he knows that whatever that number is in his head, it can go higher because of the market you may get in free agency. And that's why I don't even think it's a negotiation. I don't even think you get that chance to work out a deal with him. He's so close to free agency at this age. I just don't think it's doable. And I think that's a part of why the Yankees are playing hardball with their trade because they know that because they know he's a rental. 
Doesn't mean they can't resign him, but he's going to be a true blue free agent. But what? But what if? Take this for you know the, the what ifs. Like Aaron Rodgers came to the Jets, and that that was like Super Bowl bust in four plays. He was done. Mm-hmm. What if Juan Soto something happens? He gets hurt. He just has a listen. He got traded to the Padres in in 2022, and his second half was not very good, and it didn't hear his value. That that's the point. Like I don't think there's an injury unless you're talking about something really catastrophic that would even scare people off. Like look at Otani. I mean, think of, think about that. Otani didn't play the last month, and he's not even going to pitch in 2024, and it's not even hurting his value. So I, I think the injury thing is completely overblown. And even with that bad second half with the Padres a year ago, hasn't changed his value. I think he's a more to lock to get to free agency. We got a bunch of Ricos coming up as the winter meetings roll on, reacting to breaking news. Just give us time. I'm on the air till 6.30. Pete Hoffman's working hard on the midday show, so – What I always say when there's breaking news is you may not get it immediately, but by the end of that night, there will be an updated Rico Bronio reacting to what happened in Metland. Any thoughts, you can email us, thericob at gmail.com, and we'll try to get to as many emails as we can over the next couple of days, thericob at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and downloading. The winter meetings are here. Rico Bronio. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronio podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.